0: What's important to understand here is is my belief in what I could do is so strong that it's, I I can do what I do. If you don't believe what you can actually help people, they're not going to be able to sell it. Like you're not going to be able to do these type of things, but I have such firm conviction. They do it. It'll change their life.
1: Welcome into the Free Retiree Show. On our show, we talk about kicking butt in your career, strategies to grow your wealth, and we learn from folks who are killing it in both. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm joined alongside my pal, my partner, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? Attorney Matt McElroy got called in the court today, so we'll be missing him today. But yeah, Serge, are we going to miss Matt today? I think we can carry on without him. All right. We'll carry on. We can do this. We're a little bitter now. He just gave us a last minute cancellation, but uh, we'll let it go. Like minutes ago, Matt, what's up with that, dude? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Minutes. Gosh. So for today's topic, we're talking about becoming great at sales. And we're also going to be talking about how to grow a successful online business. But before we get down that rabbit hole, Serge, salesman, saleswoman. I mean, how do you think the word salesman is perceived in society? Positive, negative? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the majority of people have a negative stereotype of
2: salespeople. We all think that used car salesmen, right? Nobody wants to be sold anything. But I think what I've learned working in Silicon Valley forever and working closely with salespeople is like, it's less about selling and more about getting to know what problems you're trying to solve for that person.
1: But like, yeah, I think the majority of people have a negative stereotype of salespeople. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think you run across people and you're like, oh, well, that person's in sales. And they say it in such a (laughs) degrading way. I'm just like, whoa, whoa, easy there. But you know, I have to admit, I used to be like that as well. I used to think, man, that's just a salesperson. And I think we think about it as like, this person has slyly parted us from our money. I think that's what a lot of us feel. Well, you're like a shady financial advisor, right? Yes, I'm a shady financial (laughs) advisor. And every profession's got things that people Think are negative And there's always an aspect of sales to, I think, any profession. For me, every great business owner, every great CEO, every great politician, past or present, is great at sales. And, Serge, even you yourself admitted that whether we know it or not, we're all in sales in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. I mean, I have to admit
2: it. Like, I early on in my career, I was in sales and I realized like it really wasn't for me. But as you grow and I've been in Silicon Valley, everything's sales you got to promote yourself. You got to
1: get buy-in. You got to get people exactly. like, behind everything you're doing. So this whole concept of sales, right? I mean, I look at it now as the ability to explain great ideas, logic, having amazing communication skills. As you said, being able to identify key relationships, stakeholders, being able to be a great negotiator. To summarize, I think we're all in sales at some level, whether we know it or not. And so for today's guest, we got Marcus Chan. He's the founder and president of Venley Consulting Group. Now, Serge, this is a great one. Marcus has been listed in the top 16 sales influencers for Salesforce. And a little bit about his backstory. He was in corporate America for 14 years, where he delivered more than 400 million in sales contracts. In that time, he worked for two Fortune 500 organizations and was promoted 10 times in 10 years. And Serge, what I love about his story is that it wasn't always easy for him. Yeah. He started at this organization as the worst sales rep, made his way up to the top sales rep. He grew up in a family that, did, that didn't have a lot of money. Worked in a restaurant, uh, family business, and he even sold speedos on the side to make it. Wow! And and he's been featured in uh, Forbes. Yahoo Finance, Market Watch, but Serge, our boy Matt McElroy, since he's not here, I'm gonna speak about him. Like back in the day in college, he was known for wearing donning speedos all around campus. <laughs> he he was on the water polo team, and so like if you had known Matt McElroy in college, you might have seen him at a frat party doing a cake stand in just his speedos. These are the legends I, I can't confirm true. or deny. Maybe but, Marcus sold him a Speedo at some point. That's what I'd like to find out. <laughs> and I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. Marcus can actually, maybe they can connect after this and Matt can get some of those yellow Brazilian Speedos that he used to wear so much. So Marcus, without further ado, thanks for coming on our show, man. We're
0: so happy to have you. Hey, what's going on, guys? Marcus Chen here. Hey, I'm pumped to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun here, whether we talk about sales, Speedos or whatever. I'm game, guys. I'm game.
1: Yeah, man. Well, we got to start off like with the Speedos, right? How did you start selling
0: Speedos? Yeah. So, well, and it's why. Of those, so first <laughs> off, it's, uh, it was like a random thing where I just started selling Speedos. You know, it's you know, similar to Matt. I grew up as a competitive swimmer, so very involved with the water polo team, et cetera. But I grew up as a competitive swimmer primarily. So growing up, uh, I just was competitive swimmer growing up. So Speedos was like a part of life. That was just what we did. Very, very normal. Now, growing up, though, you mentioned I, I grew up with my parents worked with my parents' restaurant. We were very poor. I grew up working with my parents' restaurant. And my plan was, when I was going to go to school, go to college, was to work there and basically use the money I earned at the restaurant to pay for school, addition to the scholarships and everything else. Well, lo and behold, right before my graduate senior year, my parents said, Marcus, we've sold the restaurant. You have to go get a real job now. And I was like, <laughs> crap, what am I going to do? Yeah. And this is like, this is before people really got jobs online or really apply online. People also look at classified ads and you could definitely do that for sure. But what I decided to do first was actually reach into my network. And because my network were swimmers, coaches, swim coaches, and just the swim teams around the area, I started reaching out to my network and I found out that there was going to be one of the coaches opened a swimsuit store in town, right by campus, actually, and they needed people. So I apply, I interview, I got the job and my job was selling Speedos part-time there, you know, in the retail store to whomever came in. And then on weekends, if there's a big swim meet, I would drive a couple hours out of town, like wake up at like three, four in the morning, drive out of town, a couple hours, get to a, swimsuit, a swim meet, set up stands for 10, 12 hours, sling Speedos for 10, 12 hours, pack up, head back home and do the next day. And so that was wow. part of how I paid for college. So it was actually a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed it because I was very comfortable in that environment. I knew what I was talking about. I knew the people. I knew the background. So I knew my, my ideal customer profile really well. So for me, I really enjoyed it. Even though I only got paid like minimum wage, which I think at the time was like six fifty-seven bucks an hour, mm. and there was no commission. I enjoyed it because it was something that I was passionate about. Not Speedos, but compared to <laughs>
2: It's- Marcus, where did that like drive and passion come from? I mean, at that age, just the idea like I couldn't even imagine thinking, "Oh, I'm going to go set up a shop and do this on the side and drive two hours." Like that had to come from somewhere. Is it your upbringing, your parents? How you had to fight growing up poor? Like, what was that about?
0: Yeah, for sure. When you grew up poor and. It's, it's not the the life you really want. I mean, you grew up wanting things. Like I remember I was like, we, we grew up the first house we lived in was in Springfield, Oregon, which is like, if you're from Springfield, sorrow. it's a little bit there. It was pretty ghetto, not great. Not a great neighborhood. And we grew up really poor. It was like 1,400 square feet. Six of us lived there, tiny and cramped. I remember kids had cool things. I didn't have anything cool. We ate ramen. I mean, that was life. So growing up and I also felt the pressure my parents felt growing up as well. So, for example, I remember walking one day, and someone had broken the restaurant overnight. They smashed the door, the, the, the glass door. They smashed the glass door. They broke in. They stole money. They stole food. They stole alcohol. And I'm walking in at like seven, eight years old, thinking our life's over, like we're yeah. going to be homeless now. So, we're growing up with this innate fear of not having stability, not having security, and and see my parents do whatever it took to be able to create a somewhat sustainable life for us, you grow up with these values and you realize there's no excuses. You find a way to get things done. So I knew when I decided to you know, go to school, my parents said, hey, Mark, you can go to any school you want to go to, but you're going to pay for it. I'm like, I better go in town then to University of <laughs> Oregon. I went there. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever I can to pay nothing for school, right? Like, because I don't want to pay all the tuition. So I literally... I remember I applied to only like hundreds of scholarships until I finally got a full ride based off tuition off multiple scholarships. Wow. But then it didn't cover fees or anything else or books or like, you know, living, et cetera. So that's why I went and got that job, right? at sounds Because I was like, I'm not going to accumulate debt. I'm going to go through and find a way to have zero debt. My parents basically grew up cash only, if you will, right? Which obviously mm-hmm. I learned about credit later and all those things. But at the time, I'm like, I need to grow up having zero debt. I need to find a way to go to school and pay for, pay for nothing. So that way I can have stability and 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 not have the fear of being homeless. So that's where it really came, except from a very young age, from the environment, from the feelings, from the fear, and that power of broke, if you will, drove me to do things what most people were not willing to do. Love
1: it. If you could do it any differently, would you like If you could go back in time, would you give yourself more money or your family more money to make it easier? Or do you think your path that you had was just
0: perfect? What's interesting is I think about this a lot. And I think about as a child growing up in that environment, like when you're like seven years old working at a festival, working like 30 hours over a weekend, and you're like slinging noodles and trying to get tips off people, like Mm -hmm. you hate it. You hate being eight (laughs) years old, having to work while everyone else is having fun. Everyone else was out playing Nintendo at the time, right? And I'm out mm-hmm. here like sweating bullets in 100-degree heat, cooking chicken over a hot stove, getting burnt by oil, right? At the yeah. age of like eight. Hey. So at the time, I didn't appreciate it. I really didn't. And actually, I grew up bitter as a kid. Now, mm-hmm. part of it has to do with just because I would say, number one, I was young. And number two, my parents probably struggled to communicate the bigger why. So mm-hmm. it was more of a survival is why I really saw it, right? So, yeah. But now as an adult... I reflect back and i'm thankful like i'm yeah. so thankful that i learned those core habits and those beliefs and value systems that have helped me in my career and life because i remember just going through uh and getting my first internship getting paid nine dollars an hour and i'm working side by side with these full-time employees who are getting paid a lot more than i was and i would outwork them and they're like why are you working so hard i'm like i'm just thankful I used to make $6 yeah. an hour. I spent paid $0 an hour and get tips only. So to come here to not have to be in a, in a sweaty kitchen, I get to wear a shirt and tie. I get to like talk to regular people. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful. I'm yeah. thankful to be washing a car in a suit right now because I could not wear a suit before. So yeah. you have this level of gratitude. And it's only because I tasted the struggle. And as the saying goes, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. And the struggle also gives you perspective as well, which allows you to do different things and have different reactions, take different actions yeah. that can actually lead to a better result later on.
2: Yeah, I was going to say perspective. And then now I'm just, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and I'm like, damn, these kids are spoiled. Just hearing right. your story, <laughs> right? <I'm> like, <laughs> put them to I work, to get them in the kitchen and put them to work, start making money right. for me. Right. I mean, right. Right. I mean, jokes aside, it's it would pay off in the future if they actually had some adversity and had some struggle. Right now, it's like everything's easy for them, right? And I mean, we don't we don't even do that great, but like they pretty much have it easy.
0: Well, it's interesting. It's about delay gratification, right? Like your ability to delay gratification one of the greatest determinants for success. Like you think about this: if you want to get a six pack. That's a lot of delayed gratification, eating properly, working out, doing the right things to get a six pack. That could be months or years to get that to that point. And it's the same thing for anything from wealth management, building certain yep. b- buildings are actually truly sustainable. There's a lot of delayed self gratification. Like I think my, my kid is the same way. He's four and a half years old. And he's the mindset like oh we don't have it let's instacart it let's hit yeah. amazon let's hit, post it. i'm like you're four and a half you put my phone down <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> it's wild it's crazy um, stuff
1: wow. so going back to like the childhood one one thing that was on my mind is i know you said that there was like a little bit of bitterness like in, just asking you because not many people if you look at the population have been in your shoes a uh, small select uh, amount of the population probably has but What do you feel that that bitterness that you maybe felt like when you were a child? Like, is that stemmed at society? Is there something towards your own family? Like, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like just the feelings of growing up poor as a child?
0: It was actually never bitterness at the society. It was more so like at at the time, because I didn't truly understand it. It was first, it was bitterness at our situation. And when we're like, because they went through stages, right? Like complete, like pure survival to like somewhat comfortable, but still a little bit uncomfortable still, right? Because Mm -hmm. they grew up with nothing. They were saved, we still scrimmed, we still clipped coupons for years, even when they were stable, but there was some bitterness in just not understanding some of the lessons of the time. So like, it got to the point where they're doing pretty well financially, right? Like life was pretty good, we could have some vacations, but they would be, they were still clip coupons. But you know, I remember at eight, nine years old, like they were relatively at a better state at that point, but like, they would still have me go do things that I didn't want to do. So my my dad started buying rental properties and he bought these low-income houses and they were always breaking. So, like, I mean, stuff was always breaking all the time. The refrigerator and some of the, the tenants would like punch holes in the wall, destroy it. These were, like, these were like meth addicts. And my dad would bring me to those places, right? at them. what age? What age was yeah. this? Yeah. This is like eight or nine at this time when I'm, I'm starting helping these, these things. Oh, he would shit. take me with him. I would go and we would like... like uh, he'd have me write eviction notices on the typewriter because I could speak English, right? And I would go with them to deliver eviction notice to these meth heads and to kick them out. Or if they are booted out, we go out there, we, we're, cle- we're like, we evicted them. We're cleaning everything out. There's needles everywhere. I mean, it's wild. Oh, wow. Like, oh.
1: At nine and, years old, that's a lot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so at, at, at nine years old, you're like, damn, like- like, I want to go hang out with my, my friends right now. My kids are, but my, my friends are hanging out playing right now. Like, I want to go hang out, i go play basketball, I'll go shoot hoops, I'll go talk about girls, I'll do all those things. And you, you, I just end up growing up faster. So there was resentment at the time of the bitterness because I'm like, I can be doing something fun and this is not fun. It's not fun, like tearing apart the stairs. that got all rotted with wood. We have to build new stairs now. I don't want to do this. I want to go <laughs> be clean, have fun. And I remember, you're going to appreciate this. Fast forward, like I was 19 years old and I was still in college, right? I was also in college still. And it was like, it was, it was summertime and we did these festivals and these festivals, you, we set a food booth up. We're on our feet 15, 18 hours, like on our feet all day outside multiple days in a row. And it's exhausting, just physically, just tiring. I remember one night, it was Sunday night. We got done with the Lane County Fair in Eugene, Oregon. We got completely done. We're in like my parents' garage and we're scrubbed. It's like one in the morning on Sunday. We, we just got done working like, at, like an 80 to 100 hour week, like on our feet and we're like, scrubbing pots and pans. And I remember like even being bitter at that age and telling my dad, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, he's like, and I told him, I'm like, well, I'm like one day, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself in a, in a situation where I can use my brain to make money that I will no longer have to use physical labor to make money. Like we, we were doing right now. And he's oh. like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. That's why you go to college. I'm like, just, just wait, dad, just wait. <laughs> I will find a way to make this happen. And, and what's funny is I actually completely forgot that till like years later, my dad brought it up. He's like, that's exactly what you did. When you're into B2B sales, you literally realize it's a high leverage skill that when you truly master it, you make the money you want. And I, but I totally forgot that until my dad brought it up like a couple of years ago. Wow. He's like, I'm like, that's why. He's like, do you remember you telling me that you were so pissed? And I'm like, yeah, I was pissed. <laughs> like I'm <a> 19, i <laughs> going party, right? I don't want to be, I don't be scrubbing pots in the garage at 1 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> a good
1: dad though, man. I'm glad yeah. he kept the receipt. That's awesome. Too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah.
2: That's great. That's a great story. So I was looking at your, your LinkedIn profile. So you were selling Speedos. You have something in common with Lee and I. You worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Yeah, that's right. The big green. <laughs> the big we, yeah. Lee and I both worked there out of college. I love and that. And it was a nightmare, but like, I think I learned a lot about customer service, sales, hard oh, yeah. work. You remember the, the retail hours, like how did that play a part in this whole journey?
0: Yeah. So this is pretty cool. Right. So to me, that was my first internship. Right. So what ended up happening was this is like my junior year. I'm like right before my, my senior year. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to find an internship. You're supposed to find an internship. That's what you're supposed to do. And I remember I went, like, I put a full suit on and went to the career fair at school. And I talked to every single company. I'm like, I'm going fi- to, I'm going to find an internship. Went to every single company, talked to all these companies, ended up finding the enterprise opportunity. That was a great opportunity. Started as an intern. And to me, I loved it. Like I was like, I got to wear, I get to wear a shirt and tie. I was like, I'm so grateful right now. Like I'm like, I had to wear like a, I had to wear like a tank top. I'm going I'm to sweaty bolts in a restaurant. I get to wear nice, nice clothes now. Awesome. There so I go. started this internship. I got paid $9 an hour at a time. And I was pumped. And I remember, like, the, all the mansion trainees that started were like, oh, they're kind of, like, hating, like, I got to wash cars and suits. I'm thankful, man. I'm like, <laughs> I just have to wash people's like, mouth on food.
2: Get, get, I was that guy who, who hated washing cars. I was that guy. I was that guy, too. Oh, <laughs>
0: Getting, yeah, getting
1: so, the tie sucked up in the vacuum cleaner, Marcus. It's still, I don't know. There's something psychologically I, I, that I remember I, I, about personally, that.
0: I personally didn't care. I was so happy, right? And I remember, like, <laughs> I was, like, so thankful, like, because I remember, like when people would walk in, like most MTS would kind of avoid the counter for the, for the customer. I'd race to the front. I was the first one there, and I would like triple the amount of contracts everyone would write. I would do the most amount of contracts, so I'd be like, I would do the most, and I started learning how to sell insurance. And what's was interesting was, so most, at the time they had uncapped hours. So, you know, about around 60 hours when boss tried to send me home, I had convinced her to let me work more hours. I said, hey, listen, so I know the MTs get paid a lot more than me and it's overtime right now. You should actually send them home and let, let me work. I'll work the OT. I'll, I'll happily work 80 hours wow. a week. they I'll get 40 hours OT. You send them home, you'll actually increase your profit for the branch. So I convinced her to send people home and let me work instead.
1: <laughs> wow, so, you're a
0: beast. Oh, dude, I'll, so I'll, I did that. So, that was awesome. I loved it. So, I actually, did two years as an intern, uh, two summers in a row, because I did a super senior year. That I loved it, because I would work like 70, 80 hours at Enterprise. And then, after hours, if we had a festival, i go work at the festivals, or on weekends, or the Speedo store, because it some hours on the Speedo. So, I'll do 100-hour weeks, and I'll just knock it out during the summertime, right? Just do that. I loved it. And then, when I graduated, though, so at this point, so I, I because… I had learned so much about the business just because of my tenure there. Some of these manager trainees were now becoming like assistant managers, et cetera, at that time, or maybe a branch manager if if they were good. When I was about to graduate, they say, Hey, Marcus, we want want to bring you on full-time as a manager trainee. And I'm like, I know more than branch managers here. Like I know the the profit now. I I know the P&L better than anybody here. I promise you. Like to have me come in as a manager trainee is like a disservice to me. I believe I was a little bit egotistical at, at the age. Right. So I'm like, What am I going to do? So I actually started interviewing other companies before I graduated. So I went and like, I I went out hard. I ended up having five job offers before I graduated and enterprise wanted me to come back. And there's a bunch of other offers that are anywhere from like 30 K a year to like 60, 70 K a year and some other opportunities. And the one that was most intriguing for me was actually the truck division for enterprise. Mm -hmm. So they had started as brand new at the time. And the area manager who had hired me in the car rental side for as an intern had gotten promoted to run the whole new division, a complete startup. So he had reached out to me and said, Hey, Marcus, you crushed it. Like, come, come work your ass up for me over here, basically. I'm like, and I actually turned, turned, turned on the other offers, went for that offer, even though it was still like lo- lowest level, brand new B2B sales. Like I'm like, this is a huge opportunity because I, lo- I love the, the area manager, so I knew he'd be a great leader to work for, but I saw the uh, opportunity to build something from scratch. And that was really exciting for me because I wasn't going to sit there and try to rent cars people who were, who got in accidents and try to sell insurance. I'm like, I can go and help businesses with the fleet solutions. That's a huge opportunity. So that's actually, that's why I w- really went full-time into enterprise in that truck world. It was B2B, 100% B2B at the time. I mean, it was a ton of fun, but, that, but then I was enterprise for like four more years, right? Got promoted multiple times. We built multiple operations to like seven figures plus and ton of fun from there.
2: That's great. Yeah. We, I did the similar thing. I was like branch man, assistant manager, branch manager, all the things. Yeah. I think it's good. It teaches you a lot, like work ethic and all the things. But I think like the other thing I was curious about, there's something consistent here. There's a pattern. Yeah. You outwork and outperform everyone you're around. Like. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think for our listeners, one of the things we try to do in, in your career is how do you get
0: promoted? How do you take yeah. that next step? Like, let's take some time on that. For sure. So what I found in my career across the board, most people don't even do what's expected. So whatever is expected, of they don't even do. And what's shocking is even if you just do, if you just show up and do that, you already had the game. Like, for example, like, like I called, I called out sick zero days enterprise, zero days. Never call out sick. And like and this is like six years total time. Never call out sick one, one single time. And some people like they think that's insane. But for me, I'm like, depends. I mean, honestly, if i have a fever, I'm a contagious, I'm not going to show up. But I'm like, I'm going to put myself in a peak performing state so I, I, can just show, I can just make sure I show up. So even basically just showing up every single day was really vital. And then number two, doing the job as best as possible. So I would literally look for like patterns. Like I remember like coming, I'm like, when I started selling insurance as an intern, I'm like, I don't know how to sell insurance. So I went to the people who did the best and I mimicked exactly what they did. Verbatim. And because of that, I was able to get pretty good results and I got better with the time refined it. And then I would exercise self-awareness to understand what went well, what didn't go well. And I would readjust and I would reverse engineer anything that didn't go well. So I was always constantly trying to improve. But on top of that, it wasn't just doing the job and doing it well. I was constantly thinking about a couple of different things. Number one, how can I do it better? Number two, how can I get more value? And just really give more value and make my boss look good. So I will literally go to my boss and like bring up ideas to improve the operations. So as an intern, I will sell them, I will sell them like significantly better than everyone else for the insurance, right? So I went to my boss, like, what do you think if I put together a step-by-step training, exactly what I do to pre-frame a customer to pre-sell into insurance? So when I do the offer, they close at a high percentage. She's like, that sounds awesome. Is, nobody asked me to do that. And of course, our branches number one up, et cetera. Nobody asked me to do it, but I did it anyway for the greater good. And when you start showing, you can do beyond that. And you start doing You start performing in the roles or beyond your existing role, you get noticed. So I was doing things way beyond my role, right? I was doing things that they, it's why I call discretionary effort. I was doing things that provide massive value to the company that I was not getting paid for. Because ultimately, when you do more than you are paid for right now, eventually, you get paid a lot more for what, what you actually do. And that's something I've been trying ever since then.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Something that really stood out was you said something about making your boss look good. Yeah. And it's like making them look good, but also making their life easier. 100%. So like everything you said applies to like,
0: I think every industry, every role. That's 100%. like, that's gold, like gold right there. Mic drop, man. Well, 100%. And this applies across the board, right? In any role I've been in, I've done similar things because ultimately, if it works for me, why not give and help other people? Like even if you get zero out of it, why not just give and help other people out? That is like, it's just like, that's about being, like, when you are just like a true, good human being and you are focusing on serving other people, good things happen because you do that. But you can't just do it one time and you, you have to give without expecting it. Yeah, it's got to be genuine. Yeah, exactly right. I was giving, I wasn't expecting promotion. I was simply doing it because I knew it would help everyone else. And yeah, if it helped me too, great. But there was no expectation of what happened after I gave exactly exactly so you've had multiple sales roles
1: now common thing in any sales organization is there's always people that are the top performers and the low performers you were in that spot as a low performer and i love that you were able to work your way up to the top but advice to people that maybe they feel like man i'm just bad at sales like like I'm just I that's my label. I'm bad at sales, and you I've seen that at multiple organizations. I worked at Twenty Five Finish, which was a sales organization that tracked numbers, and there was the top salesperson, there was a low salesperson. Enterprise was very much the same way, and there was another company I worked for out of college that did a credit card processing, and it was very much a sales you know role. But like, how do you start to turn that ship around if yeah, or if you maybe you've been in the sales game for. Five, 10 years or plus, maybe more. And you think, eh, I'm just, I'm just not a good salesperson. Like, how do you fix
0: that? Sure. Great question. So, number one, you have to first own the situation you're in. That is the first thing you must do. You must look in the mirror and say, okay, am I really bad at sales? Where, where do I really stand? Next, what am I going to do about this? If you don't truly own it, If you try to own the label, like I'm just a bad salesperson, but you're like, hey, you know what? I just don't have the skills yet. That's totally two different things. And the mistake many people make is they might say, oh, Marcus, I've been in sales for 20 years. But if you're still average or you never really hit peak performance, you you probably have really one year's experience repeated 20 times. So it's Mm. understanding exactly where do you stand and how can you improve your skills? And then finding ways to improve the skills. I'm a firm, like I like, playbooks. I like proven processes. I have like to follow things that can become better. And what Tony Robbins said, said it perfectly. It's all about behavior modeling. If I want to be a really good cook, I'm going to follow the best chef around. I want to see exactly how they think, what are their habits, what are their routines, how they prepare, what do they do, how do they psychologically process things. And I'm going to mimic exactly what they do. When I first started sales, I was the worst. I remember, I remember like I was so used to people coming in, like people coming in. I had some insurance. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really good at pitching. I'm looking at this. Like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at this. I must be pretty good at sales, I think. Well, once once you have to go do cold outbound, like cold calling people, cold emailing, walking the businesses. That's really hard. It's really hard to convert oh, yeah. people who know yeah. nothing about you. I remember literally walking in and you have guns pulled on me, dogs biting me, <laughs> different cold calls, <laughs> right? Walking. I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst. What am I doing in my life? And I was I remember second guessing myself when I saw the stack. come. second guessing myself, wondering why I chose this career. Why did I do go into this? Why did I stay an empty in the rental side? Why did I take that bank analyst job? Why did I take these other roles in which I probably would've made more money immediately and, hope, and probably be happier. Why, why let people just yell at me, curse me out and call me terrible things? Didn't know why. But first off, I pity myself. I pity myself. I question myself. I blame the world too. I said, it's because as it's 2007, the economy's falling apart. The market's terrible right now. Stocks, unemployment's going up, no one's buying. It's terrible. My boss didn't give me training. We have a terrible tech stack. I'm getting zero support. My boss is a jerk. No one's coaching me. No one's giving me direction. I'm just not Kyle for sales either. So I had all these internal and external limiting beliefs and objections to success. And I allow myself to fill my mind and tell myself that story. But what I realize is your mind's really powerful. So if you're going to tell your mind a story, why not tell one that's going to actually empower you? So I remember going through and reading all these like sales books. I went to the library, got every single sales book. Zig Ziglar, Augmentino, all these books. I wish I could say those helped me. They didn't because they're all written like a long time ago, and those things just simply didn't work. And I tried the numbers game. I tried making hundreds of calls. I tried to do all those things. didn't work. And I remember coming across Tony Robbins, Book Awaken the Giant Within. And inside there, he said, If you don't like the answer, ask a better question. And I realized all those questions I just asked were very disempowering and they held me back from being able to solve my problems. So I started asking better questions like, How can I push through this? How can I solve this? What can I say differently to influence a better reaction? How can I write a better email? Who knows the answer? How do I acquire the information? How do I mimic behaviors? Who else is excelling in the same environment that that is that's crushing right now that I can go mimic? And we start thinking this way, you start realizing there's a lot of solutions out there, and start getting better answers. And when we get better answers, you start taking an action. So if you are out there and you've been in sales for even a short time or a long time, you're not having success you want. You start number one, be fully aware of what you're doing. Number two, ask better questions. Number three, find someone who can take you there. It's one of the fastest ways to improve your results. Like. If you believe you are stuck where you are, you're right. But if you want to improve, you can improve. Because ultimately, the hardest territory to manage is actually the one between your ears. If you can manage the territory between your ears very effectively, you can write your own tickets to do whatever you want. And let me give you a really specific example some limiting beliefs. So, for example, I remember um, after having success at Enterprise, I went to a whole new company in, in April 2011, CentOS Corporation. Big company at the time, about $7 billion a year. And I remember I didn't realize when I joined the team, uh, I joined the team and I remember uh, when I joined, I realized I was on the worst team in the region, worst region in the company. I'm like, great. This is like the worst team in the company. Fantastic. I had no idea. Surrounded by people who just do not believe. Success. People said people can't hit presence club here. People can't have success in Portland. It's just not a big market. It's not the Bay area. It's not Southern California. It's not Seattle, Washington. It's not Arizona. It's not New York. It's not a big, it's not a big market. It's you can't have success here. And I, I remember walking in and I remember like uh, talking to this guy, he is this guy. I don't say his name. Cause he might listen to this later, but he's like, Hey man, um, like, like, when do you goals here? I'm like, well, Hey man, like, I'm like, I actually took a two-step to motion to come here. So my goal is I want to become a director in under five years of company. He's like, what? That's not. That's like that's impossible. And a director of the company, typically you're leading a big sales org, usually 60 to 80 plus employees. And usually it takes most people eight to ten years in that company to get to that level. And so I was trying to tell him, I'm like, I want to do it in five years or less. He's like, impossible. Not gonna happen, man. Like, that's just like you'll be lucky to make it after the first year. Like, I'm like, oh, jeez, no one wins that's that a dream deal,
1: crusher, oh, right. yeah, That's a dream
0: pressure Serge. That's a
2: dream pressure. Yeah, that is
0: a dream I'm like, this crusher. is like day two on the job, right? I'm like, where, where do I go, right? So yeah. I'm like, okay. Now, fortunately, I tell myself different stories, right? I tell myself better stories than what he was telling. So fast forward, I was able to have success. Nine months, I became the sales manager. Took over the team, right? Re- replaced Prince's entire team. I just completely top graded it coached up, people I can coach up, coached up, people couldn't get coached out, replaced the team, took over the whole team. We became like one of the top teams in the company With another year after that. We started just hitting, hitting press club, hitting awards, boom, boom. Four and a half years in, I could probably be a director, right? One of the fastest promotions in, in the company's history. This company's been around for like 90 years. And people were like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I, I believe first off, but also I found ways to accelerate my success. Like I, I was willing to do things people were not willing to do, but it's the power of belief right there. But also being able to work towards the belief, and takes zero excuses and you detach from the outcome and you do the right things every single day. And I did that and it happened. If it didn't happen, even though it was six years, seven years, I'm still beating the odds. So it's understanding where you are today does not determine where you go. Your circumstances only determine where you start and not where you go.
2: And I feel like every sales team needs to hear this right here.
0: Yep. <laughs> every sales team needs Marcus. Right. Do, are you, <laughs> That's true. I know right you're, now. Yep. you have
2: the six-figure sales academy, but do you ever go and talk to the companies or how how does that work? Or do you just kind of do it on the side or talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So I do a mixture, right? So I'll do some, I'll, I'll do like some team stuff. So there's, there's pros and cons, right? So like, Working with companies is definitely cool, but there's like a little bit of a formula. Like I found when I'm coming in, I'm coaching and training the teams, usually the way you see, because a lot of times like you have to hire the right people who are going to be open to a coach. As you, like, you hire like crappy people, they're just crappy in their mindset. It doesn't matter what you get them. There's some crappy. So I found like, like if you do a group coaching session with like a, a group, whatever, like the truth is like 10% are going to probably take action just freaking destroy their numbers and crush it, which is awesome. Yeah. They'll be applying it. are going to be like, oh, that sounds really awesome. They're super engaged in all the sessions, but they don't take action. And then the other 70% are like, they don't want to be there. They're like, this is just a job. And they go to a new job every year and a half. And they always find a way to blame the company, their boss, or the market, or whatever, for their, their, their poor results. And they actually stay mediocre. The reality is mediocrity is a choice. And so is greatness. So you have to choose every single day what you're going to do with the right knowledge. So that's why I definitely do those. I'll do speaking engagements. I'll do SKOs. I'll do all those things, which is definitely cool. But it's always interesting because when I'm working with the individuals, I always, like we have such a high success with that program because they're paying out of their own pocket and they're taking action and they they want to get better. So the drive they have is not just extrinsic, meaning they're not just shooting for the top 1% or the income level, whatever. It's usually intrinsic. They've realized- They're sick of being average. They're sick of waking up not having money. They're sick of just not being able to achieve the life that they want. And now they're finally taking action. And sometimes an event has to happen. They got put on a pit, a performance plan. Or they just realize they're like, crap. Like, my kid wants to go to private school, and I can't afford it. Or their kid wants to go play sports, but they can't afford to put their kids into sports now. So sometimes they have this realization that causes them to want to take action, but then there's one who's intrinsic. It's like, they're like, like I'll give you that like this year, I'll invest over a hundred thousand dollars into myself for coaches for myself, right? Because it's intrinsically driven that I don't want to be poor or be broke or be homeless. And I, I, I want to build because of those intrinsic driver that's beyond anything external. So those are things that are way beyond, but that's why I do, I do all the above for coaching and, and teaching and training, but I, I really love the individuals because the transformation they go through, it's amazing. Like, it's, like I have I a voice on my phone from Tanya on my phone, literally almost crying because she's, with, in two months, she's hitting her first five-figure commission check. She grew up poor. She's like, this is the most money i ever had. Like, what do I do now with my money? I'm like, great. Let me break down how I actually manage my, my finances now. So this is like, you become like, you start leveling up, it becomes a whole new thing where you realize at every new level is a new devil, right? So let's, I digress a little bit.
2: Yeah. No, hundred percent aligned with you there. What I was thinking about is, again, I don't think these tips apply just to the sales field. This mindset stuff like can be applied in everything I do can like
0: any of us, right?
2: It's that self-belief. 100%. That's my
0: takeaway hundred percent. So I believe there's something I call the belief triangle. And from, you, you can kind of see here, but there's a, there's a triangle you can kind of see if you're watching the video on the left side of the triangle, and there could be low and high on the left side of the triangle is what I call belief. You can have low belief and high belief on the right side is effort. It could be low effort or high effort. If you have really high belief, you'll take, you'll do a lot of effort. If you have really low belief, you'll do very low effort. So for example, you picture that you all know how to ride a bike. If you've never ridden a bike before, if you have high belief, you can keep trying. You can keep putting the effort. You're like, I see people do it. I can do it too, and you'll have success. But if you did, if you had low belief, if you'd try one time, like you give up. But ultimately, if you have high belief and high effort, you eventually have high success. That's what happens. So when people have a, a certain level of belief in whatever it's going to be, they're willing to take forth the effort. So for example, this is actually why even when I do group trainings, the first thing I'm going to ask for them, I ask them is, I want you to have high belief. I'm going to ask for your belief today. So that way, when you have belief, you can take action. If you have high action, then you'll have high results. But if you have zero belief, you're going to have zero effort and you're not going to get any results at all. So it all goes together. It applies to anything in life. You want to learn how to play chess. You want to learn how to wow. cook. You want to do anything. You must have high belief in that person that I think you're learning from to be able to take that action to get the result you want. It's
1: amazing. So one thing that we talked on, touched on before was the success is contagious, right? Also, the people being low performers or misery, having misery in what they do is also contagious. Uh, Personally, I've been in both situations at companies where I was at a bad company and it really was, I feel like, the external factors. I've also been in a situation where I've been at a great company and man, they made me so much better. But how do we differentiate if it's us or our environment? All the time you run across people that are like, well, I'm sucking because of my company, and that's a very common thing we we hear it all the time. But how do we know if it's us or the environment?
0: Yeah. So I'll say first off, it's really hard to differentiate when you're in when you're in the forest. right? It's really hard to see the trees, if you will, right, whatever right. the saying is. So once you're inside, it's really hard because we're emotionally tied to it. For me, I think it's really simple. So you, you start going through. Like, if it's if, if you want to be a very systematic, like start writing out all your complaints, okay? Like what what are you complaints about the company? Bad product market fit, bad pricing, bad market, whatever. You just write them all down. And then right down next to it, how are you justifying that? What's the facts? Not your feelings. What are the facts that prove that point? Okay? Really important. So you, if you can't back it up with, with facts, then it's, it's invalid. And it can't be, I spoke to one person, they didn't like my product, we don't have product market fit. That doesn't make sense. All right. Like if you have thousands of customers that bought the product and they're having results with it, you have PMF, all right. Like you got product, it's validated. You're just not good at selling it. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. so, and then going through and un- uncovering, what could I do differently, get better results across the board for anything? What could I do personally? And if you struggle to do this, then get someone who's outside the company to help you. Someone that you trust that can give you objective feedback. And that's really powerful, because there are certain things for sure. It's definitely copy driven. So, for example, let's talk about on-target earnings. On-target earnings is a perfect example, right? Like it's a like, oh, it's unrealistic. Okay, you can get some facts from it. You can take a look. If zero people hit OTE on-target earnings, well, it's probably actually not really a good target. It's probably actually unrealistic potentially, right? And you might have other systemic issues, like lack of support, fulfillment whatever, bad product, PMF, whatever it's going to be. So you start systematically kind of going through and you write down all the potential concerns you have complaints, and then you want to mism- just be able to justify and validate as well. But here's the thing. Your sins follow you everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Your sins follow you everywhere you go. And if you were consistently blamed by the same thing, either you're making a bad decision about where you work, or if you can't find the problem, then you're the problem. It's a painful truth, but something you have to yeah. look in the mirror. And this is why taking 100% ownership is one of the greatest things you, you, you can think about. So for example, I remember uh, two years ago, we're at a stoplight. I got rear ended My my, my, wife's, my wife shook. My kids shook. We're okay though. Car's damaged. And my wife's like, oh man, I can't, we're going to accident. I can't believe that person. they not pay attention. I'm like, it's my fault. And she's like, what? Like, I didn't tell the insurance company. This is what I told myself. Like, it's my <laughs> they still paid for it. But I'm like, it's my fault. She's like, what do you mean it's like no it's like they hit us you were part we, you didn't do anything wrong i'm like i get that but what if i left five minutes earlier she's like oh if i left five minutes earlier that wouldn't happen it's like well impossible i'm like i understand that but it's just when you have this type of thinking where it's like it's always your fault the results or the failures you do different things you think different differently and you just, you do, you only, you demand greatness from yourself. You do not accept mediocrity. You only, you live by the, what your actions are and you just do what you say you're going to do. And it shifts across the board. And when you th- think about when for sales, if you do the same thing as well, it changes your results. Because then even if the company is truly bad, like even if the company is really bad, you have really bad product. You at least know, hey, you know what? I did everything possible in my control and I, I'm fine. It is what it is. It just didn't work out. Cool. And then you move on. So that's why it's like, you can't always, it's like sports, like you can't always control a scoreboard, but you can control all your efforts leading up to the game and what you do in the game and whatever happens, happens.
2: Marcus, so I'm going to throw a curveball at you. At what point as a sales rep, is there ever a moment where you say maybe sales isn't for me? Or are you saying you can like transform anybody and everybody? I feel like realistically sales is not for everybody. Regardless of what Marcus coaches today or tomorrow or whatever,
0: I I don't know, I'm just going to throw that out there. So it depends on the person. Okay. So for example, when you think about the core skills of a great sales professional, were they able to develop the skills to do that or not? And for some people, I'm a firm believer, like everyone's got a certain level of, of competence. And once you kind of hit it, you might not be able to go beyond that. You might kind of balance around here, right? And some people is higher, some people's lower. Some people just never re- even reach that level. So most people kind of stay right here. This guy, fantastic with customers, great with asking questions, great with controlling, great with frame, great with clothes, great with actual, the parts of so I is actually really great, but inconsistent and disorganized. So those are things, and that's okay. That's not who he is. Those are those are just behaviors. He yeah. had a fix. So if he was able to just commit to just making sure he was consistent with prospecting, making sure that after he closed a deal up, he just made sure his button up was just turned in and, and, and right, his customer would be happy. So those are just some of the small things where they're actually not necessarily sales skills. They're just like life skills. Yeah, like like if you can't pay your mortgage on time. You're going to get right. in trouble. That's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, So that's why it's like, it's. I think it's important differentiating what are like core sales skills to develop. But you probably hit a, people, everyone has a certain kind of cap, if you will, and you can't kind of bounce around there. But then there's also other skills, they're not only sales skills, but they're just about being a good professional.
2: Yeah. That, yeah. It's important, I think, in your career to have self-awareness. Yep. There is that moment where like, I had it and I realized like, Sales wasn't like, I, I would hit numbers and stuff, but I had that moment where I was like, I wanna get into something else. Yep. So I, I think that's what I was trying to get at is like, I think for the listeners out there, like you have those moments
0: in your career where you have to figure out what's right for you. Totally. And you also have to see, what do you actually enjoy? Like if you don't enjoy it, like don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. It's like, don't just do it to do it. Like if you don't enjoy, even if you're great at it, do what's gonna make you happy.
1: Marcus, your online system that you have, the training. Can you give us a little bit about that, and what people uh, can expect
0: if they get into your training? Yeah, so uh, it's it's, a, it's actually a high performance coaching program, right? So I break it down a few different components. So it's really the it's an A to Z blueprint to transform and really add an extra fifty hundred k in commissions into your year without working harder so it's not about hey come in here just work your ass up that's not mm-hmm. the point so i will literally refine everything you do from prospecting social selling discovery demo clothes across the board and it's broken down a few different ways so number one there's an online course that's the system you follow it's step by step easy it's my brain download to a blueprint if you follow the order do exactly as i teach in there with all the exercises you'll start getting results very quickly that's the first thing comes with templates everything that's number It's cool now, that's generalized. And then on top of that, I also do group coaching and also telegram coaching as well to give the context of the situation because sometimes people go through like, oh, you know what? That makes sense, but I'm not sure how to apply it, so now I can tweak it. And But I also coach out specific situations. So ultimately, it's really a high-performance coaching program. that just happens on an online course as well. But ultimately, those who get results from my program are ones who just show up, they take action, and they're highly coachable. So they put aside any ego and they bring specific deals to the table People can yeah. bring deals
2: that they're trying to work in their <laughs> tech company or whatever to you yeah. and you help them close those deals.
0: Yeah, so I don't run the deal for them, but they give me the scenario, you, you and I tell them exactly. Coach them yeah, the I, could, I tell awesome. them exactly what to do, and that's really. And nice. Do they say what service? Do,
2: do their companies know that like Marcus Chan is in the background doing this? <laughs> some do. I doubt it. Some do.
0: So, so, well, some do. So some do. So like some of them will reach out and want me to advise them and stuff, right? Or do bigger things as well. But it's like in some companies, like the short side companies, like oh, that's really cool, but they're not thinking about putting the rest of their team into it, right? Like why not have a team full of superstars? That's what I was like, thinking. Like that's a smart way, but my program is definitely not cheap. It's an investment, but that's also why people take action as well. So sometimes they, they, they simply can't get the budget. That's what happens. So
1: awesome. Yeah, listeners, make sure you reach out to Marcus. If this is if something you're struggling with, obviously he's the man at this. He's got a ton of knowledge. Marcus, To close, the last topic I want to talk about is your online success on LinkedIn, you're in multiple channels and articles. Like you're become you have this wonderful reputation. What was the secret to that? Like how did you make those things take off and get noticed?
0: Uh, Yeah. So what's interesting was, so I didn't just start my online business like overnight. It wasn't like a thing like, oh, I'm just going to start an online business. It was a a transgression of multiple steps. So initially back in 2015, I didn't really realize at this point that I had gotten promoted. Well, at this point it was really like, I mean, 2015. So that was like eight years. I actually got promoted 10 times in eight years, but 10 out of 10 sounds better. So it's cooler. So at this point though, people were like, hey, how'd you do this? Like you just became a director in like four and a half years. Like this is impossible. How are you able to change completely different industries do these things and like seem to have this like Midas touch I'm like first off there's no Midas touch like I work my ass off but there's systematic things I do to position myself to to hopefully have the high possible win rate and they're mm-hmm. like okay so they're like, you should write a book I'm like yeah maybe so I actually wrote a couple ebooks first I learned how to write ebooks and learned how to write an ebook is before ebooks were a thing and also how to sell online and I remember I wrote, I wrote a couple and I woke up made like $9 over and I'm like, oh, wow, $9. Some stranger paid me $9. That was amazing to me. I'm like, that's really neat. I'm like, what else could I do, right? What else could I do to spread the love and serve more people? And this is before online courses were like a big thing because now everyone, their mother has an online course. So I'm like, you know what? I should build an online course. But about what do people ask me a, a lot of questions on? What am I a quote-unquote expert on, if you will? Because to me, this whole time, I'm still seeing myself As a poor, you know, kid from Chinese immigrants who grew up with nothing, who just worked his ass off, right? Sold Speedos, sold noodles, sold whatever. (laughs) I was just a regular dude in like a little town, right? So I'm like, okay, you know what? I get a lot of questions on B2B sales. Stuff that I thought was really obvious that people just know they don't seem to know. So I'm like, let me build something that I could have given past version of me, A to Z. So I built my first online course, the very first version, actually called the Sales Ninja School at the time. And uh, I launched oh, nice it. Nice name. It me, yeah, I know. Yeah, it took me a couple cool. years to, uh, to actually build it because at this time, I mean, I had a sales force of 110 plus employees. I was in a hotel room about like 100 nights a year. I was traveling nonstop. I was, it was insane. And I remember like, it took me two years to to build this out. Oh, I had a baby too this time. I had a baby this whole time. I did a soft launch in January, 2019, woke up. Made two thousand dollars. I'm like, wow, that's nuts, that's pretty nuts. So, and this and during this whole time, I'm doing it, I'm also studying internet marketing, like how to build a brand on like Instagram, etc. Now, my company is old school, so I wasn't really active on LinkedIn, so I did kind of Instagram, so I kind of just did that at first and started learning about email marketing, etc. My email list is only like 300 people at the time, not even that big, and just started. Like, That's pretty neat. So I started learning about this. I'm like, okay, you know what? That was pretty neat. So I could use this as a platform now to serve more people across the world and potentially just have a way bigger impact. And this is the first test of like, hey, can what I do help more people than outside of my existing company? That was really important for me to understand. So what I started doing. This whole time sort started planning my escape, if you will. I'm like, I can't just leave right now. I need to make sure it works really well. But also, number two, I had my presence club trip coming up in the summertime, which is free, five-star resort. I earned it, so I want my free trip. I had a bunch of stock that was gonna invest, I wanted my stock. We had earnings calls and that was going to happen in a, uh, September. So I knew the stock would go up. I wanted to cash out after the earnings call. So there's some strategic thing that I wanted to do. So I kind of waited like nine months. This whole time, I'm studying internet marketing. I'm working on building my brand. I'm working on email copy. I'm working on copyright this whole time. And uh, wait for all those things to happen as well. The stock, the presence culture, all those things to happen. September 19, 2019, my official first day into being an online entrepreneur. So I, I quit everything. Boom, went all in. And uh, that was scary. Super scary. Like mm-hmm. just like really from a guy who cares about stability. If you're being poor <laughs> to leave like an incredibly high paying job with great benefits and like great culture, all these things and really kind of strangely a lot, just like kind of like weird power. Cause I had this big Salesforce, like to be like managing me, mm-hmm. it was, a, it was an ego hit. Yeah. It was, Oh, this is like really weird. Like I just manage me. Like I don't have admins anymore. I have to do everything myself. Like, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. It really was. It really was. So I'm, so I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm like, I'm like I need, from the online piece, I need to start taking action ASAP. I'm like, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start, I'm going to focus on where's my market at? My market, LinkedIn. So I'm going to take everything I've learned over the last couple of years, I'm going to go all in on LinkedIn. This is a platform I have not been able to touch really because of my company. I'm going to go all in. So everything I learned about how to build a brand, build authority, do all these things, I started doing it on LinkedIn. So specifically, I started I started writing posts every single day. I started writing content every single day, specific things to prove my authority. In addition to this, I would go and start engaging onto other people that were that were basically I knew my target market was checking out their stuff. I started engaging on their posts, dropping value bombs, so they would start seeing me. Right in addition to that, my profile was highly optimized to convert as well. Right? So I made sure it was highly optimized to basically prove everything I said was, was being proved. Like I would have bold claims, I would back everything up. Every bold claim was backed up and proven. And I was just start showing everyone. And as people started slowly kind of adding me, connecting with me. And literally, uh, I would go and I will start doing outbound messaging. I started like sending connection requests and just building up a following of the right target. I was building a pool of fish of the right audience. Start doing that. In addition to that, like I, I did something that I couldn't scale, but I knew would create a greater impact. So every day I would receive on average between 15 and 20 connection requests in every single person I was in a video message to. Every single person, a customized video. Wow. I'll be like, hey, Sergio, drop my message and give him free value. And just give, I just gave value. I was giving out free trains, free, I was proving to everyone. I knew exactly because I knew no one cared what I did before. They knew nothing about me didn't matter what I did before. And I wanted to prove to them without a shadow of doubt, I could help them. So I started doing that. Boom, boom. And for, for sure, like in my business, still doing pretty well. I would now do like, I would actually do live webinars. I'll do live webinars every couple, couple, uh, couple weeks and basically do an offer to sell my online course. It was a course only at the time and to start doing that and bring a bunch of revenue doing that. Right. And and then from there, I started to start investing in other programs as well to build a more scalable offer and also build better product and also learn be better email copy copyright facebook ads youtube ads etc so i invested into a program a couple of different programs for that started investing into those programs started doing everything my coaches would teach me and it was just like i started building funnels everywhere video sales that are webinar funnels i started building tons of funnels and i started driving traffic boom 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 and i just showed every single day what was it hard days absolutely there's still hard days right and after about like probably about a year moments are really built after about a year i mean this is like me showing up now the thing is like people think as an entrepreneur like oh you don't have to work like you make your own hours first year as an entrepreneur i probably work 80 hours a week every week right like yep. grind i mean i'm sending video messages like i would send between the outbound i would send like 30 to 50 videos to strangers every single day all right wow to build up my and to prove validation, right, and that would just lead to sales call. People like, to try, like, holy crap! You're le- you're legit. Like, I've seen everything you're doing. I started learning about just retargeting ads, outbound, out- do more outbound messaging. So, so, the more you do, it, the more you start getting recognized. So, people start reaching out to me. LinkedIn start reaching out. Hey, you're giving me a top voice, Salesforce, Forbes. Yeah, I mean, people start reaching out, and it, it, it starts it starts compounding. But also on top of that. Every time I would get some sort of recognition, I would leverage the asset to spread. So for example, like I remember first time when LinkedIn first reached out to me and said, hey, Marcus, like we chose you like to be a LinkedIn top sales boys it was like 10 people. So you're one of them. This is out of like 300 million users. So you're Incredible, one of them. Like, oh, man. Wow. Okay, cool. So, uh, so most people say, that's great. Cool. Awesome. One post, two posts. Cool. I took that asset. I put it on my Facebook page. And I create retargeting ads and I start doing ads towards everyone who's visit any of my websites. So now if they had seen any of my pages, now they're seeing my face everywhere. And the, and then now I have the I'm leveraging the brand of LinkedIn to say this guy has got authority. And now they're like, oh, so, so even if they maybe like, I had sent them a message, they're like, oh, I'm not sure about this guy. i gonna check him out. Let me Google him. They click on my yep. website, boom. Now they get my ads nonstop in their Instagram feed, in their Facebook feed, in the Google ads. Now they're seeing me everywhere. And they're like, yeah, oh my not God, this guy's everywhere.
2: It's yeah. not you telling them you're great. It's, link, it's LinkedIn telling them you're great.
0: Correct, correct. So, and what I would do is anytime I will get re- featured in a publication or something like that, I'll do the same. I'll rinse and repeat, same thing. So even now, I mean, I probably have, 10 or 15 specific retargeting ads still running even now that I'm driving for people to hit my page. So that way it builds the present and omnipresence. So they see me everywhere. They see me in the direct messages. If we've cold emailed them, they see me in like on, <laughs> on, on the feeds. They're seeing me on all the platforms. Now they're like, okay. And sometimes it's timing. It yeah. might be like, I'm just not ready for this guy. I don't know about it, but now six months in, you know what? I'm ready for the next level. Who am I going to talk to? Marcus Shen, that guy's legit. I've seen him around; he's shown up. <laughs> so I built this authority in their mind, and so and ultimately, it only helps reinforce the messaging. Because I the thing is, what's important to understand here is, is my belief in what I could do is so strong that it's I, I can do what I do. If you don't believe what you can actually help people, they're not going to sell it. Like You're not going to be able to do these type of things. But I have such firm conviction. If they do it, they'll, it'll change their life. I'm cool doing this. Some people are scared to do what I'm talking about because they're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can help them. If you don't believe you can help them, then there's no way you can do this. You have to have pure conviction, belief in yeah. what you do, that you can change their lives to do what I do in the same way.
1: Mike drop. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us today. I mean, I know whoever listens to this episode is going to get a ton of value. And man, if you are looking to take your game to that next level, whether it's sales or online marketing man, reach out to Marcus, one of the best resources I've ever heard. Thank you so much, man, for coming on our podcast today. James, thanks so much for having me on. Absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Free I Reef Show. So long for now. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McDowell do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.